On this episode of Unorthodox, God only knows what we might say. It could have bad words. So while we very much want you to listen, we want you to wait until a time when the children are out of the room and then listen. Thank you. Um, I, I couldn't imagine somebody like Osama bin Laden understanding the joy of Hanukkah. Merry Christmas! To Jews and everyone else who kind of wishes they were Christian at this time of year. It's the Unorthodox Christmas Show. Yay! Yay! Best consumed with uh, some eggnog and... Is eggnog kosher? It is today. Why not? Eggnog it's, and brisket. Isn't, what is eggnog? It's eggs. Paul, you're it's a Gentile. Egg, what it's is, egg and nog. It's egg and nog. Has anyone and rum. Our, had our, our, our engineer, Paul, says, and rum. I, have I had eggnog? Yeah. I adore eggnog. I like, can I just remind throw you, eggnog in anything. You, you two enthusiasts that... This is like another holiday that begins. Today. There's another holiday that we'd be celebrating that's not Christmas? What? Yeah. But there's no eggnog for that holiday, people. You know that one? You mean like, should we not be having a Christmas so we episode? Have, we have a lot of stuff lined up for our Christmas episode. Um, we're going to be talking with, among others, uh, former tablet writer Mark Tracy, who is the great expert on Jews at Christmas. He's written about Jews and Chinese food. He's written about He's Jews. He's like the Christmas Jew. He's, He's the not Christmas our Shabbos Goy. That's He's... right. Uh, we're going to be talking with librarian Rachel Kamen, who got some notoriety for panning the new book Schmelf the Hanukkah Elf and our contributor Marjorie Ingle is going to be talking with her um, Jessica Gross who has written online about why she thinks it's okay for Jews to have Christmas trees Robin Rice the founder of YourHolidayMom.com which is an online space where moms can write to LGBTQ children who may not have moms whom they're close to uh, the scholar Natasha Zaretsky will talk about Russians and their holiday trees you know why I love this this episode that why? we're doing right here because here's the thing I love Hanukkah I think Hanukkah is amazing I, I think Hanukkah is amazing because Hanukkah is basically about war. It's the great holiday of the great military victory. To me, this is what we're doing right now with this Christmas episode. We're we storming won. Christmas. We won the war on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You know those Christmas songs you like? Yeah. We wrote them. Jews, Jews wrote them. Yeah. You know those movies you love? America on 34th Jews Day? made we, them. We directed them and yeah. starred in them and, and paid to produce them. You know that Messiah you have? We made him. We made him. This this is our victory lap. <laughs> we lap. set him to music. It is eight <laughs> days of victory <laughs> dance around people of all other faiths. So you're saying this is just like a smug little celebration? Yeah. So look, before we move into our, our... We thought we only had enough for two guests, <laughs> but we actually have like 17 <laughs> guests today. Before we move into our into our grab bag of guests, before we light the shamash of our show, um, I thought we'd share some memories, some Christmas memories of our own. Liel, do you have any... Do any you, Christmas memories? Any, yeah, what was Christmas from like? From childhood in Herzliya. Growing up in Herzliya. Any memories? What, what was Christmas to you as a, uh, as a young sci-fi reading boy? It, it it was watching TV, uh, thinking how funny it is that you know there were places in this world where it snowed, uh, and generally being kind of okay. Uh, I never really spoke to me. I got. Did tell you it. know there was? Do, did did I? Did do you, I know? Do they know Christmas? it's Christmas time? Do they know it's Christmas? Like what is the set? I mean, are there are the malls? But dad, they're not right. No, they're so, not at all. So what's it's a wonderful thing? Can, could you go? Christmas? And by the way, would you say it's a wonderful life? It's a wonderful life. A wonderful high. Uh, every time uh, bell rings. Um, what? A, a lieutenant in the IDF gets his uh Stephanie, his what wings. about in Great Neck? So similar to her to Leah, <laughs> I did not experience Christmas um at all. Like I really it's amazing. And so I got to college and I remember 
telling everyone that it, I was, you know, like my freshman dorm friends that I was You see, going. Mark, we're Jewish. So this is the whole Christmas thing. Never really <laughs> Never played a big invited. part in our life. But so I didn't. So I was saying, oh, you know, I'm going away with my family. And they said, when are you leaving? And I told them the date. And they're like, you're flying on Christmas? And I was like, yes, I, I've told you several times I don't celebrate Christmas. And these kids in my dorm were just like. They don't like, get it. They're yeah. like, but you still fly on Christmas? And I'm like, I yeah, well, it's a great time to fly. <laughs> way, is like, there a halachic thing against flying on Christmas for Christians? They're like, you just don't fly on Christmas. Just, like, I mean, they're like, they're busy. They're doing stuff. And so I just remember. And my other thing is like, this is really embarrassing, but I actually like don't remember when Christmas is. Like I'm always like, is it the twenty fifth, the twenty sixth? Like I I I'm I'm bad at it. So I got to college, love Christmas. It's just so fun to me because I have zero like young person like oh I, I Hanukkah's no bad is good. Yeah, no baggage, yeah, no baggage, baggage free. So for, except for presents, I accept presents for all and, holidays. And in Israel, if you really want to celebrate Christmas, well, this is back when you could. You you would go to a little town of Bethlehem. Uh, where oh, they must do it up right. A real TBT. Christmas. They must do it up right there. Uh, I'm sorry to say it's the Palestinian Authority. They don't do anything right. <laughs> uh, but you do. Everyone, you do everyone feel, drink. You do feel closer <laughs> to the Christmas spirit. There are a lot of people with guns shouting at you, and yeah. And there's three men. Is it? Do you feel like a closeness to where that all happened, or? I mean, if if you believed in any of it, I suppose you would. But I, I just feel closeness to. Like I'd like to say right now we should have had an Arab Christian on the show to talk about a Palestinian Christian. That would have been cool. Yeah, but Next they're year. all they're all persecuted by the PA, so they're really hard to find. Well, they've mostly they, left. They I have to say, I'm yeah. surprised there's no like Bethlehem amusement park in Israel. Yeah, That's how like, have they not commercialized ca- yeah, that? Capitalizing on that would be who now. The people who control Bethlehem? Well, like the people who do the Bedouin tents could oh, also be people. like a pop-up Bethlehem. Should be part of the birthright trip. Um, since you asked, growing up in the 01108 in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah, what was it like, Mark? Well, my best friend was the son of the local Unitarian minister. So they were pretty ambivalent about Christmas. You know, they, they had to have their solstice service at church to not offend the Wiccans. Um, and, you know, they did it. I didn't, you know, my two best friends were were actually both Unitarians. We knew them through the cooperative daycare, through Mud Pie. Shocking. Shocking. We knew them through through Mud Pie Daycare Co-op. So nobody was very Christian in that community. What I do remember it is- It was a conversation the first time. I was like, oh, you can't commit to your religion? Oh, nor can I. Pretty we'll, much. We'll right. be best friends. We'll be best friends, right. We'll, uh, we'll make sure that the, we, our kids eat the peanut butter with the oil on top. Exactly right. And um, what I do remember was that carolers used to come around. And it was amazing. It I, was I didn't realize so Carolers like existed outside of movies. Outside of British movies, British Edwardian period dramas, they do. Or they used to in Springfield actually. in the late seventies. They came round, and they were amazing. And there'd be six or eight of them. You'd ring, they'd ring your doorbell, and you'd answer. It'd be after dinner, seven eight o'clock, and you'd ring the doorbell, and you'd open it, and they'd each be holding a candle, and their breath would be all frosty, and then they would sing like "God rest you, merry gentlemen." Um, and I actually, now that I live in a in another sort of idyllic neighborhood of Westville and New Haven, where you know there's a lot of Jews, but it's probably eighty percent. I mean, it's Jewish, but that means it's like a, a fifth Jewish. It's mostly Christians. I I keep waiting for the carolers. I mean, we have we have sidewalks, we have neighborhood life, we have community. I feel like the PC thing is like carolers are oh not my God. welcome anymore. That's heartbreaking. Don't bring your Christmas Christmas to every single. Don't house. bring your joy in your Messiah to other people. Oh, we I loved it so. Um, yeah, could, you know what? I'm going to come caroling into your house, please. So but I'm you only going to sing like you know, last Christmas <laughs> yeah, I gave, gave you my heart. No, it's beautiful. I have no Christmas baggage. Liel has no baggage at all. I never except the bag he just came back from Israel with. I never. <laughs> my only baggage is literally my, ca- my carry on that has the the spices from the shuk. You're asking me, did I have baggage? Um, I never wanted to be Christian. I mean, did I? Like, there's a lot about Christianity that I envied and a lot about Christians that I wish I had. 
They had good sweaters. It was very Portnoy's. It was like they had wonderful <laughs> – I feel like they can wear wonderful sweaters with, with reindeer knit into them without irony. With, nobody's going to accuse them of trying to be anything other than what they are. And I have to say, like, I'm done with the Hanukkah sweater trend. Like, I do not – we do not need – Tacky yeah, sweaters. Don't send us tacky sweaters at the office. We get we get those. I don't. I just. I, why we we don't need to compete but in that field. I actually want to come clean about something. My dad grew up with a Christmas tree, uh, in classic German Jewish Reform tradition, and one year when I was maybe four, and my brother Dan was two, and the other kids hadn't been born yet, we had one, and I remember not liking it. And I think, and I could be wrong here. My parents listen to the show; they can correct me. I think that I objected and said, this just doesn't feel right. We're not Christian. And we never had one. I know we never had one again. So why aren't we having a Hanukkah show? I don't know. Whose idea was this? We were all like, yes, let's do a Christmas, <laughs> Christmas show. show. We did a Christmas show last year. Like at no point were we like, let's really like delve into what the story of Hanukkah is. I guess we do have some issues. We're joined now by Jessica Gross, who is the author of two novels, Sad Desk Salad and Soulmates, and is also the editor of Lenny Letter, which is the newsletter from Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor. Uh, Jessica, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So when we were planning our Christmas episode, I said, you know what I think about every year around the time of Christmas is the debate I had a number of years ago at the website Slate about whether or not Jews should have Christmas trees. And I haven't reread it in a long time, but all my friends who have read it at the time said, like, you lost. wow. <laughs> Either I lost or you guys seemed really annoyed with each other. Like, uh, you know, our producer, Shira Tilushkin, said it seemed to get awfully personal. Um, so I don't remember that. But And so let me start no, with the I first felt, question. I felt like it was all in love and fun. I totally Maybe felt we're... that way, too. But just to be clear to our <laughs> listeners, I was on the – and I don't think in a sort of judgy way, but I was in the camp of here's why I don't – as a Jew, think that I, as a Jew, should have a Christmas tree. And you were in the camp of, like, it's all good. Right. Jessica, here's my first question of the day, then. Why is Mark wrong? There we go. (laughs) Well, I think it's it's actually, it it ended up being a much deeper question about than it was than just, you know, superficially what a Christmas tree, a Christmas tree is just a tree. You can call it a Hanukkah bush. It doesn't necessarily matter. But let's I think. not. Let's just call it a Christmas tree. Something is so disturbing about the term Hanukkah bush. Can we all agree it's Absolutely. a Christmas tree? Yeah. <laughs> okay, no Hanukkah bushes. Okay. But, I mean, I think more broadly you are about keeping things more traditional and hewing to tradition and being more observant. And I, even though I was... You know, I have 100% Jewish parents and had a bat mitzvah. I married a goy and am much more flexible <laughs> about uh, assimilation. And um, I think that informs our our differing feelings about Christmas trees. Although, funnily enough, my husband, out of the blue this year, uh, turned to me one night and goes, do you think I should convert? And I just laughed. <laughs> I was like, where did that even come from? Like, we've never discussed it. We don't go to temple or church or anything. So, I mean, maybe he's not even that excited. I mean, we'll do it if he wants to. Yeah, if he wants to do a conversion. We have rabbinic authority. Let Tablet Magazine hook him the frick up. That would be an awesome bit, by the way. Were you like, wait, can we still have a Christmas tree, right? (laughs) Exactly. That that was my gut response. So set the um, scene for us. It's, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah time, your home. What does it look like? 
Well, this is the funny thing. I mean, we, this is the first year we've actually had a Christmas tree and my older daughter is four and I have a, a five month old. Oh, um, oh, thank you. And, uh, every other year, this is the joy of, of being an interfaith marriage. Uh, Thanksgiving is always my family and Christmas is always my husband's family and they live in California. So we had always gone to uh, California and we had stayed at hotels. So there was no observance of, you know, we celebrated Christmas, but there was no uh, foliage <laughs> for anybody. Uh, but this year we actually do have a tree. We have a tree. There are presents around it. We had people over to decorate it. It was a whole, we did the whole nine years. Will there be Hanukkah of some sort as well? Yes. But here's the thing. This is how bad I am. Um, we, I bought candles every year since my older daughter was born. And I think probably a total of three nights have lit them. But this year, because Hanukkah starts on Christmas Eve, we will definitely be remembering to do both. And actually, my parents and my brother who is married to a Jewish woman and has two 100% Jewish daughters are all coming over on Christmas Eve. So can, we will have a Christmaka dinner. Can I just say, by the way, like, it's so interesting just listing, like, first of all, you called yourself a bad Jew, which I don't think you are. The sort of the, 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 the rhetoric <laughs> of like badness and failure, which so pervades Judaism, right? Even among very observant people who are always looking at the more observant and feeling that they're bad. And twice you've talked about the 100 percentness of your like, I mean, the, the Nazis couldn't do better in terms of observance of racial purity laws. It's like the whole. By the way, Jessica, Mark just compared you to the Nazis. Yeah, just compared you to the Nazis. No, I think you're going to take that. The whole discourse is like, you're fine. Don't worry. Like, it's, there's the anxiety, Jessica. Like, it's okay. Well, like, I think I feel, you know, I I do feel very deeply Jewish, right? And except for the God part, which is what... But really that's like every Jew. Me. We all feel that way. Every Jew since Moses is like, you know what? I, I know. love everything about this religion, but God, eh. The point I is know, you're and fine. I, have, I think it's also my daughter's, it's like emotionally and intellectually, my older daughter is very much like me. She is so clearly my kid, but she looks like my husband's family. So I, and my new, new daughter is blonde and blue eyed. So it's like, I feel even more pressure to assert their <laughs> Jewish blood because I, they don't look like Jews. You would not, you would not pick these children as Jewish out of a crowd. So I feel like some, you know, I need to prove their Jewish blood in some profound way. And I haven't, figured it out yet considering there's a christmas tree in my living room <laughs> so now that you have kids i mean is there a way in which you need to sort of figure out how you're how you are going to have them sort of assert their jewishness do you have to reconsider your own jewish identity yes i mean i've been having a four-year meltdown i mean that is overstating it but i mean this has been a constant um problem for me because we i keep putting it off Every year, I'm like, she's not old enough. She doesn't know what's going on. So, and now she definitely knows what's going on. And I still haven't figured out what we're going to do about it. So, and I am still stymied about how to um, inculcate in my children a love of the, you know, culture and, and religion and the importance of it without going to temple because I don't want to go to temple. I don't want to drag them to temple, so it uh, it, it can remain the quandary. I have to say, so like, I don't have Christmas envy. I have deep Christmas appreciation. And I'm like a little, I'm envious that you get to have a tree. Like you yeah. kind of have like a good excuse to have a tree. Right. The non -Jewish husband. Husband. And you have the good excuse to always do Thanksgiving with your parents. Like a lot has worked out well for you. In, it's in, true. In this deal. Um, it's true, except for that 
deep, undying uh, fight in my soul. And that's how you know you're really <laughs> Jewish, yeah. right? Like that pit of your stomach well, feeling. And what's, more, if you, it and what's more, if you'd married some sort of kind of indifferent, non-observant Jew, you'd never think about this. Like what you've given yourself yeah. is, an, is right. a lifetime that's what I think, of actually. endless questioning about this. In a weird way, that I tree really, will make I you like Jewish. That. Like, I really super enjoy that uh, point of view. I feel like people are really hard on interfaith couples for reasons I don't understand because it's like if you're just like two reformed Jews who grew up, you don't have to think about anything. And it's like it's called Israeli. But you don't have to consider any of these decisions you're making or even make decisions. Whereas if you marry a Ben Cohen, Stephanie. Yeah, I'm about to marry a Ben Cohen, so. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. And hey, you would love to know I'm... that Christmas trees are becoming really big in Israel, too. Are they really? Oh, yep. really? Yeah. And they're well, not called funny. Hanukkah bushes? My sister-in-law, my sister-in-law is Russian. She's a Russian Jew, and she immigrated here when she was eight. And they always had Christmas. Trees, That's exactly what I was about tree, to say. Yeah. We yeah. are going to so get to that. Russians in, this very in Israel are are celebrating Novigod, right? The the mm-hmm. the the New Year, and the tree is a big part of that. I have two yep. final questions, Jessica. First of all, one of the other pieces you wrote that always sticks in my mind um, was the one, or you edited a whole package for Slate about couples and their finances. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that you were on the side that couples should keep their finances separate. Do I remember that? No, I uh, I think at the end, I decided that it should be a hybrid system where you have some things, sep- where you have most things together, but then you have your own separate pots. So you don't have to be explaining every sweater purchase to your spouse. So you have your own. You and, and Holden Caulfield, your Gentile husband. <laughs> What's what's the financial arrangement there? Separate, hybrid, same? Hybrid, hybrid. We got some some together, some separate. You know, and the funny thing is that that position actually makes me so lukewarm and indifferent to your Christmas tree position. Like I feel so much less strongly about Christmas trees than I do about that, but that's for another show. Um, second and that's, fin- that's for our money episode. Another. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. For our money episode. And that honestly, that one, as you know, would really bring the mail, right? Like Christmas trees is nothing as compared to, you know couples and finances. Um, 100%. And so you're working with Lena Dunham on her on her um, newsletter, Lenny Letter. How do people subscribe? Mm-hmm. They go to our website, LennyLetter.com, and there is a little box where you put your email in. And it's so easy. You don't even have to confirm anything. Does the half-Jewish but entirely Jewish identified Lena Dunham have a Christmas tree? You know, I don't know. I will have to ask her. Um, she is the same as my daughter's, which is uh, Episcopalian Jew, Pissy Jew. That is. <laughs> Aren't <laughs> so we if all? They could, <laughs> if they could only grow up to be as delightful as Lena, I would be very, very happy. We would um, like to break that news. Could you get back to us about the Christmas tree status of the Dunham household? Yes, yes, I will ask her. I know she's on vacation right now, so. Uh, I don't know. I mean, she is her partner is Jewish, so I'm guessing no. I'm, I would, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna guess no that there's no Christmas tree in there. We know that our partner's Jewish because she wrote that essay about why oh, her Jewish yeah. boyfriend is like a dog, <laughs> as I recall. Jessica Gross is the author of two novels. The more recent one is Soulmates, and she edits Lenny Letter, the newsletter from Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor. Thank you for joining us to talk about your Christmas tree. Thank you for having me. Merry Festivus.
next guest is Natasha Zaretsky, who is a senior lecturer at New York University and also a visiting scholar at the Center for the Study of Genocide and Human Rights at Rutgers in New Jersey. And a couple years ago, she wrote a piece for Tablet about Soviet Jews and their holiday trees. And we thought we would check in with her about that. Hello, Professor Zaretsky. Hello. Okay, so... Liel has also mentioned to us that in Israel, the Russian Jews are really into their holiday trees. They're not exactly Christmas trees. Tell us what this tradition is. Okay. So in Soviet times, um, what was very common during the New Year was to have a tree. um, And there was a nice man named Zied Moroz, Grandfather Winter or Frost, who would bring gifts to kids along with Snigurichka, Snow Maiden, for New Year's Day. Um, and that might sound a lot like Christmas to people here, um, but there it was a secular holiday that used to have religious connotations, but under the Soviet Union, it became something that everybody practiced, including Jews. So it has no Christian connotations at all? Like, it, it's the white Russians don't feel that it's competing with actual Christmas at all? You know, I'm not sure about that, but... For the people who I work with who are Jews who emigrated from the Soviet Union to New York, um, it's something that does not have any religious connotations for them there or didn't. So when they came here, it was actually quite a surprise to see that it triggered certain feelings about Christmas for other Jews that made them feel like they had to hide it in some cases. So what happened then? Did they, when you get to, you know, Brooklyn... Um, well, when they got to Brooklyn, they noticed that, you know, after Christmas, there were lots of trees on the streets. So especially in the early years when people um, didn't have a lot of money, that was one way for them to start celebrating. But, you know, they thought, fantastic. Now I can also buy like pretty lights and really decorate and all of the wonders of American, you know, consumerism were also there. Um, but they also found that their neighbors and some of their new Jewish friends or classmates were, were looking at it as if they were doing something wrong. So um, in the piece that I wrote, um, Sonia Woman, who came from Moscow, and then she was sent to Yeshiva, um, and she suddenly realized that there was something almost taboo about the tree, and she just felt, I shouldn't really tell my Jewish friends about this. So that was my question, right, is some Russian Jews um, get religious when they come here. Right. And, and so the ones who get religious, do they do they drop it, or do they kind of just keep it on the down low that they also have a... Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because those who do get religious, like they they definitely, not only do they drop it, but there are all sorts of other conflicts about not wanting to eat in the homes of other relatives who aren't keeping kosher um, and other issues that might come up. Um, but I even see it happening in families where between a wife and a husband um, that I'm interviewing, uh, the wife really wants to have the tree because she wants the kids to share in the magic that she had as a young child. Um, and the husband says, no, this is this is something that means Christmas here in New York, so I don't want to have this in the house. So they have to compromise in different ways. See, I feel in, in the, the Russian Jews who ended up in Israel, I think, traveled a different trajectory, at least from my right. experience, because they came and they said, hey, we have this amazing holiday called Novigod, and uh, here's, right. here's what we do. There's a tree. You drink a lot. Yes. And you get presents, and the rest of the friends were so, like, yay. that is amazing, <laughs> of yes. course. No, I mean, and and that's a really, really another important part of it that I didn't mention, that it's a time for the whole family to get together. And, and drink. You spend New Year's <laughs> Eve together, and you eat a lot, and you drink a lot, and then there are presents the next day. So it seemed like, what could possibly be wrong with that? And it's one of the few holidays that actually made its way from, you know, the Soviet Union to New York, um, as far as something that people enjoyed celebrating. Although certainly getting together and celebrating something that that people do a lot for other occasions, too. But New Year's is very special. And for Soviet Jews, it, it seems like it was one of the few things they could sort of publicly celebrate. 
Yes. And one of the few ways I think that they could also feel like, you know, just like everybody else. And, you know, so when they suddenly came to the U.S. and some people were telling them, no, actually, you can't do this. It was a really interesting moment when, you know, they were just coming here to be more free in a lot of ways and they couldn't really exercise. And everyone's being choices. like, no, don't do that. Don't do that public yeah. public display of your yeah. heritage. Right. And I interviewed this one woman who told me like how happy she was to be here and to finally be able to decorate in the way that she wanted. And then her neighbors, you know, told her, you're Jewish, you can't do this. Her so meddling Jewish them. neighbors in, in, in Coney Island were like, right. so they don't said, do that. Okay. You know, and, and so they just brought it inside the house. So that sense of like having to like privately do things instead of publicly, like, like that's still there. a very Soviet thing. Yeah. We're like, actually, this is the American dream. Your right. tree has to be Samistat now. So, so <laughs> right. if you go to Sheep's Head Bay now, like what, what's, what do you think the per- percentage of, of New Year's trees the that are still there? the level of coniferousness? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that it's something that is a very common thing that, you know, many Russian Jews do and, and many Russians also. There are also Russian non-Jews who, who are living in Brighton Beach and Sheepshead Bay, um, and those areas, you know, but I think what's really interesting, you know, is for those people who are actually like trying to, um, trying to negotiate some kind of internal marital settlement about this, you know, where they say, like the wife said, okay, I'll do a deconstructed tree. So I'll just have some branches on the mantle next to the menorah and then that will be okay. So like they're um, having the same oh, conversations as all of us about like right. which small things will Welcome will to allow. America. Um, right, exactly. Pro- Professor Natasha Zaretsky of Rutgers and NYU, thank you for joining us to talk about Soviet Jews and their holiday trees. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Hanukkah. We are elated to have in our studio today the delightful Jordan Hoffman, who is the film critic for The Garden. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going holiday he's, season. He's, he's the Guardian Gun for the film critic. Guardian for Garden and Gun for The Guardian, uh, Vanity Fair, and the Times of Israel. I should say a critic for all those places. I don't know, motherfucker. You are the oh, critic. Okay. For, like, right. I, I will know. say the only uh, person who writes for The Guardian who I'll read. Uh, so that's great. Also, you're the only person, the only Guardian articles that I ever will read. Well, I'm, probably the also also the only person who writes for the Guardian and the Times of Israel. Uh, uh, let's talk about that off the air. But uh, the Guardian's arts section and their politics section are not necessarily run by the same uh, mindset. Let's put it that way. I'm too stupid to understand that, but I do. <laughs> but I do read you. Well, thank you. I'm honored. And to you write. And well, have you written for Tablet? No. Oh, no, we've there's just, time yet. We've just tweeted. We've just, no, I, well, you know, we've tweeted I, I'm, you, a, we've sub-tweeted I'm you. a one-woman gal. I, the Times of Israel has been very good to me. But one of these days, I, you know, I, I love I love yeah. you guys. I'm a big fan. And uh, what can I say? It's, it's, it's mutual. So let's, yeah. talk about, let's talk about Christmas movies. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. What was the first, like, what's your first memory of watching a Christmas mu- movie? Me? Yeah. Um, well, it would have been like the cartoons. So the Charlie Brown Charlie Christmas Brown. special- was great. Now it does get a little Jesusy in this in the middle. It gets super Jesusy. It, now hold on, I, I want to interrupt you. Set the scene. So yeah, here is eight year old Jordan, yeah, ten year old Jordan, yeah. Okay, sitting at home in New Jersey. In New Jersey, in a neighborhood. By the way, I, I love bringing this up. Uh, all Jews and Italians. I did not meet a Protestant until college. What town was this? Where was this? This was in Monmouth County, New Jersey. Nice. And in our area, and we were very fifty fifty. Like uh, Italians, uh, so. The Roman Catholics and I get along very a well. Lot of, so when they they married, you know, as Mike Pesca says, a lot of produced a lot of pizza bagels. Right, exactly, exactly. And there was a lot, you know, we had a little bit of Christmas in our neighborhood, 
lot of lights, Longapachka lights around. My, my parents and I used to drive us around and go, let's go, not so much to laugh at them, but just to sort of, let's go see what the what the goys are doing. And <laughs> like, oh, this one's really bright and this one's only all I'm white. I'm going to say that to my kids this year. Yeah. Like, kids, you, you seem a little bored, a little antsy. Let's get in the car, we drive around, do, see what the goy ever doing. We did that my grandparents in Boca for Christmas. We would <laughs> yeah. like do the drive around the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, you drive nice... around. And it was, a, it was, it was, it was mostly respect because these were our neighbors and we cared, we liked most of them. The ones we didn't know, we assumed were very nice. All right, but then you're and, on the couch. Right, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting <laughs> off track. Uh, so yeah, the cable and, box, the A side, the B side. So the um, right, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special. Yeah, see that's what makes it. It's it is a little because there is a jazz element to it. You know, Vince Guaraldi's jazz makes it a little Jewish because jazz is Jewish by Lenny Bruce's rules. So that was great, and then there'd be like a break in the middle, and Linus. Who you, who's like kind of like a mushy squid, you know, he's always touching yeah. his blanket. He like stops everything for like this bit of holy rolling in the center. That's a good time to go get a break. You yeah. Know, get a Bathroom snack break. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Little Ben and Jerry's. Right. Yeah. What so about that was, you? Was, was that one of your favorites growing up? You know, I have to say, I, maybe because I wasn't, didn't get much Judaism growing up. Oh God, my parents listened to this. They, mom and dad, you gave me a lot of Jewish pride and, and a good amount of Judaism. Maybe like too much. But, like, look where we are now. Yeah, the look, joke's on us. The joke's on us. But there wasn't a lot of Christmas. Nobody was reacting against all the Jewiness by also doing a lot of Christiness. I mean, Western Massachusetts was a lot of NPR listening liberals who took whatever religion they had in a modest amount. But there wasn't, unlike some Jewish kids who were like, give me that Christmas. It's so much better. I didn't. Right. There wasn't a lot of religion. And so I don't think, I mean, I saw the Charlie Brown special. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, I still to this day haven't seen Miracle on 34th oh, Street. Oh, well, that's the one I was good. Well, It's a wonderful life is crap. But uh, uh, Miracle on 34th Street is good. And Jews can relate to it because it's about retail. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's got a nice. Yeah, we're like 34th Street. I get it. Right, right. Yeah, it's about Macy's and trying to get, uh, you know, shoppers Wait, in. Is and that be- why? It's about beating gimbals. Really? But, it's a very capitalist film. Wow. It's wonderful. I should go see it. The Miracle Third First Street, Fourth Street rules, and also little Natalie Wood is adorable. She pretends to be what? a monkey. Natalie Portman's in it. Natalie Wood, <laughs> the or the or the er Natalie Portman. Uh, she's adorable. She's maybe nine or so. You've seen Miracle on Third First Street. I have. Right? She pretends to be a monkey, and her her mother is a working mom, right? So she and she works in the marketing department of Macy's, and she's all business, and she's lost that Christmas spirit. But then the wacky. Um, Santa, who is the real Santa, brings back the Christmas love. But it's all about the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas and trying to beat that bottom line and beating gimbals. Now, you just said something um, some Americans may consider controversial. What? It's a wonderful life is what now again? It's not particularly good. It's very boring. It's very lengthy. See, Miracle on 34th Street's real, real Hamish film. Uh, it's a wonderful life is real, real. It's too goyish. Real, real goyish. <laughs> it's a little. Real, I agree. It's a little long. It's real goyish. Do, Donna Reed, give me a break. And it's it's the Zuzu's pedals and the teacher and the bells. <laughs> I got I got I got, no, I got no time for that. I can I I'm down with Scrooge though. Some of the original Christmas carols, not the musical from 1969 with Albert Finney. That right. one also is really dull. But the engineer's laughing at me. But the um. The original uh, Christmas carols, which are all in public domain, so they're really easy to buy for 99 cents if you're ever at Target. Uh, those original ones, the old black and white ones, are very charming. You know, they have a, a nice... Can I ask a question yes, that I've, I've really never had a forum to ask and was yeah. a bit embarrassed? Is there like is Scrooge, is there like a, like the miserly Bah humbug, is that like a Jewish thing? 
I see, if it, I see is, it everywhere. It's That's so my problem. Crypto, I, I, I don't gonna, have to be worried about it. No, I'm going to give Dickens the benefit, or at least the, those who have adapted it to film, the benefit of the doubt and say no. Um, for all we know, maybe he was thinking it. You know, it's always good to be a little bit. I just want to say, I just, but... I just want to say, I just googled this, and um, in 2012, the News Herald of I don't know where, you know, that might be Australia. Yeah, isn't that Sydney? Anyway, no, Southgate, Michigan. The News Herald of Southgate, Michigan, <laughs> same thing, ran an article that says no series of articles about Dickens is complete absent treatment of the difficult subject of anti-Semitism. It then goes into Fagin and Oliver Twist, who, of course, uh. is the ur text of you know for people who think that there's anti-Semitism there. But Control F Scrooge, but is it in there? <laughs> Damn, Ebenezer Scrooge, I did. From a Christmas Carol, whose first name is deliberately taken from the Old Testament, this writer argues, is depicted as the epitome of avarice and greed. Why? For the most part, because he doesn't celebrate Christmas. You know, I, I yeah, I'm not buying it either. But you know, it's funny that I never really thought about it before. So maybe the joke's on me. There seems to be a brand new kind of stream of Christmas movies uh, that try to kind of have welfare have it both all. ways, right? Like yeah. Alf, like will be self conscious that we're Christmas movies, but still give you the same gratification of the Christmas movie. Right, right. Well, I think Elf is pretty good, and I saw that again recently for the first time in a long time, and. uh it's really funny, and also it's good for kids. You know, it's not too risque or anything, and it has a general, you know, goodwill to all men. But it's not very religious in any way. John Favreau directed it, who was a member of the tribe. So Obama speechwriter John Favreau, uh, or with it at work, or no, Monica's boyfriend not. on Friends uh, and the Swingers other, John Favreau. The, uh, the Swingers right? John Favreau. Whichever offends you more. Let's do this because yeah. this is this is the requisite question. So yeah. you're the film critic, so we have to put you in this. You yeah, know, go for it. In this role as the absolute snob who like knows shit that yeah. none of us. You're going to ask so, me about Natalie Portman, aren't you? No, Schindler's oh, List. I never would. <laughs> so very by the way, Schindler's like List was a was a Christmas movie. One that of came favorite, out around Christmas. Time. One of your favorite. <laughs> the girl Christmas in the red dra- jacket, like that's <laughs> totally Christmas. She's like the Santa. Goodbye, Jews. <laughs> uh, five Christmas movies that we should watch this holiday season oh, that we don't know about because we're not smart and film literate as you are, oh, but. But and then a should. few we should like banish forever to the North Pole. Yes. Well, I think it's a wonderful life can go. Okay, there's okay. really no need that. for that one. Um, I might. I I am not as prepared as I wish I were. I've failed you, you my don't friends. Have to do five. They gave you a lot of homework just there. Right, it's right, right. Two or three. Yeah, I well, don't have time to watch five. Give me. Yeah. You know, there are, there are a lot of well, you know, the the Grinch who stole Christmas. The cartoon is pretty good. That one has always been uh, been a favorite of mine. Thurl Ravenscroft as the, as the voice of the Grinch is Can I ask also question? Tony is the, the Tiger, Grinch by the way. Yeah. anti <laughs> Do I just see it everywhere? All of a sudden, you're the Anti-Defamation it, League. No, like, well, why is everyone stealing Christmas? Why do you think every negative character is Because Jew? I'm, like, deeply self-hating. And no, you're just, just defending. you just, you're just um, yeah, I'm like, aware I'm re- of people yeah. who hate you, yeah. that's all. All right, um, two two final recommendations. Yeah, go One, for it. a movie Christmassy or not that just everyone has to see from this year or not. Just what are you always pushing on? Well, people? you know, there, there's a great movie that's about to hit theaters uh, at Christmas time called Patterson by uh, filmmaker Jim Jarmusch with Adam Driver, which oh, is yeah, set in Patterson, New yeah. Jersey, which is a. Uh, a very uh, terrific right. place, a multicultural utopia, according to this film. A lot will depend on whether you can stand Adam Driver, but I think I can. And no, he's, he's, he's a bus driver. Yeah. He's, he's a Adam bus driver. driver. Driving. Oh and his God. name is Patterson in the city of Patterson. So there's and a little cutesy all... factor to get over there. Well, but it does, it's, I guess. It's hip. It's, it's lo-fi. Now, there's also another interesting movie coming out on Christmas Day, which is not a very Jewish film called Silence. 
Have you heard about Definitely this one? Definitely not a Jewish movie. Dying to see it. Right. Just, what is I, it? The novels. You've read the book. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Um, my very good friend, uh, Bilge Ibire, who is Turkish and, an, and a, a hardcore atheist, as many of them are, says that th- he saw this movie and he said it made him wish that he believed in God. It's a Catholic film. Uh, it's Martin Scorsese's new movie. Uh, but it's not very Scorsese-ish in that uh, it's, there's not a lot of violence. There actually was a Japanese version of this film. It's based on a book in 1971, which is 10 times more violent than Scorsese's version. It stars Adam Driver, again. Uh, he's the co-star. And Andrew Garfield, the Love once- uh, Social sp- Network. Spider-Man and uh, other- Jewish guy who had to answer for working for, with Mel Gibson. He That's is right. a Jewish man. And everyone yeah. with the last name just- Garfield, unless they're descended from the president, is Jewish because Garfinkel always went to Garfield. Oh, is that where that Absolutely. comes from? It's yeah. the ultimate, it's the act crypto-Jewish name. He's British-Jewish too, which I find is well, like- Well, the Brits changed all, like there are yeah. no Jews in Britain named Goldstein. They're all like, yeah. you know, Hawthorne or something. Gladstone. 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 Disraeli. apostrophe. So, they're Portuguese- priests, Jesuits in the 17th century, and they go to Japan because their elder, played by Liam Neeson, has disappeared. And at the time in Japan, you know, the Jesuits were proselytizing and converting indigenous peoples all over the world. They were doing it in Latin America. They were doing it elsewhere. And the Japanese government was like, eh, we're putting a stop to this. And they outlawed the religion. And this becomes, you know, what do you, do you protect your own culture or do you allow freedom of individual thought and individual belief? Um, and it's a very heavy film. I'm dying to see our, it. Yeah. Our Kwanzaa present to you oh, yes. is, I, I want you to tell me your favorite piece that you've ever written. Oh, God. Holy smokes. Um, uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, my God. So that's, modest. That's, that's, that's um, there probably are some really funny ones. You don't like have a personal one. baby like that one? Yeah, just... yeah, I do. Okay, I do, I do, I do. I wrote it for Vanity Fair. You can Google it. When, uh, in the years after 9-11, when there was no work, I, I was a telemarketer for the Roundabout Theater Company for a few years, and I wrote about my experiences, which were very entertaining, but also a living nightmare. Wait, I remember the Roundabout Theater used to call my, my yeah, house growing you. up yeah, and I be like, you. is Elise Sputnik there? And yeah. I'm like, she doesn't was, want to talk to you. Jordan, like, Jordan, stop well, calling. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I wrote about it, actually, bringing it back to Scorsese, I, it was pegged to when The Wolf of Wall Street came out. Because when The Wolf of Wall Street came out in the beginning- when The cold calling, all the cold the calling. The cold calling yeah. was like, I've been there. Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? You never, what, you're, you're broke. How could you know about this? I'm like, no, I used to sell theater tickets for the roundabout <laughs> theater company. I used to She'd call, always end up resubscribing. Yeah, no, I That's used to- That's Jordan was that yeah. good. I, I was very good at it. I used to call every Jew in the tri-state area and try yeah. to get them to see Antonio Banderas and Nine. And I was like, is this at Jordan Hoffman? But the funniest thing was, um, it was right after September 11th, and every arts company in Manhattan was dying, closing down. And we had a tyrannical boss who was good at his job, but the worst boss in history, like a a monster. What was his name? Scrooge. Scrooge. Evan, he's just Scrooge. Um, But he kept that company afloot, seriously. By by torturing you into actually selling subscriptions. And torturing me. And and we were relentless. We were ruthless. And like we would call like Mrs. Blumenthal on the Upper Upper West Side. And she's like, no, I don't want to go into Midtown. I'm afraid of terrorism. (laughs) And he'd be like, it is your job. It is your obligation to take advantage of the cultural opportunities in the city. If you do not see Master Harold and the boys, it's like you're, the terrorists the terrorist win. The terrorist yeah. I was like, the ter- and I would use that line. I'm like, no, I don't like going to the city. I don't like taking the bus. I'm like, take the train. Train safe, safer. You can get up and walk away. You don't take the Holland Tunnel. It's me, Jordan. The train. I'll personally pick you up at, at Lincoln Center and bring really you downtown. Funny. Yeah, it's like I'm like, like do matinees. Yeah. They're not going to attack at noon. 
they're going to attack him <laughs> at night. So, you know. <laughs> Jordan Hoffman, <laughs> thank you for being on our Christmas special. Yes, well, Merry, Christmas. To everyone. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Will you come back in the new year? I would love to. Ed. If you want to talk about the Oscars, the yeah, Sundance, that's all what that we'll Michigan do. We'll have you yeah. back talk about all that Michigan stuff. Done. Uh, Merry Hanukkah. Hey, everyone. Mark Tracy, formerly an editor at Tablet, is now a sports writer for The New York Times. He's also the editor of the book Jewish Jocks, to which I contributed. Mark, do you remember what I contributed? God, you know, it's so early. I'm in, I'm in Arizona. I don't remember his name, but Ultimate Frisbee, and he was the Batman producer. I just can't remember his name. That's right. Joel Silver, movie producer Silver. of Batman, founder of the game of Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, but more importantly for our purposes, Mark, when he was at Tablet, wrote uh, a couple essays that continue to break the internet every year with their popularity. One of them was about Jews and Chinese food and Christmas. It was called Why Eating Chinese Food on Christmas is a Sacred Tradition for American Jews. The other one was about why Jews write all the best Christmas songs. Like you were sort of the Christmas expert in residence at Tablet. Is that right, Mark? I would like to think so. But most importantly, Mark, I have to say you are my personal and professional wingman. Well, that, that's, that's for you to say. Mark hired me as an intern at Tablet six years ago. Like this week. This week. Um, I, wrote like this him a, I wrote him a cover it's the, letter. It's said, the yard site of your previous life. Exa- <laughs> um, I said, dear Mr. Tracy, sent him a, send him a cover letter about um, a game of hangman I had played in my Yiddish, my Yiddish class. Um, and he hired me. And he, I, I, we, get, we credit him for like bringing me and Ben Cohen together. Why does he get credit for that? I don't know. Because you knew him. I did know him. It's not clear whether I literally. I always thought you guys knew each other. Yeah, you like, like you know, inclu- the whole Duke thing. You included us on emails together. Mark and said, assumed. "Well, you can't get together with a sports guy from the New York Times, which is me. You should try a sports guy from the Wall Street Journal. Next best thing." That's true. To be clear, then, Stephanie, you at various points wrote sort of obsequious fangirl letters to Mark Tracy and to Mark Oppenheimer. Because when you were at NYU Journalism School. No, when I was in college, I sent you an email asking, like, what's it like being a religion writer? And it was a much colder email. I've seen both. Okay, of them. let's talk formal. Christmas. Yeah. N- enough about me. Let's talk Christmas. <laughs> Mark, when did your obsession with Christmas start? You know, it's funny. I actually, I was just saying this yesterday. I have a bizarrely early memory, which is in my elementary school in pre-K kindergarten, and I was in kindergarten. I was, so I would have been five years old. And, and I remember some of them talking about Santa Claus. And look, I'm not going to hold myself up as like some especially smart five-year-old. Like I believed in the tooth fairy until I was probably like nine or 10 or something absurd like that. But I knew Santa wasn't real, obviously. And I remember having this almost like meta adult reaction to them. Not Santa Claus isn't real, but I can't believe you guys believe Santa Claus is real. And these are like, these are like four-year-olds. Um, but you know, beyond that, like I always like the holiday. It is a great time of year. Um, my dad, uh, is a big fan of uh, Christmas movies, most particularly the greatest of them all miracle on 34th street, which is kind of, I would argue the most atheistic Christmas movie that's ever been made. And, um, and you know, I think at some relatively early age, I realized that like 
all these traditions we had, the movie one's been completely co-opted, maybe the Chinese food one a little less so, uh, you know, were themselves kind of defining things. I'm not sure if I would have had the the language to articulate it at, at at the early age of nine or whatever it was. But I think I, I think I sensed that relatively early on. But it also sounds like you had a security in your own tradition at a young age where you could say yeah, like... no, I mean, this doesn't happen without that, right? Yeah, you like know, you know this thing you guys me. believe yeah. in is kind of weird, which most kids can't say. But so can you explain to us like the Chinese food thing? Like why, how did it happen? Why Chinese food? Sure. Yeah, it's funny because I was also just at an Italian restaurant and it reminded me of one of the reasons. I was at an Italian restaurant and there was all this like, you know, Jesus stuff around, which is, you know, total respect. They're they're allowed to do that. But, you know, the Chinese restaurants didn't have that. So basically, if you were Jews on the Lower East Side, which is, you know, where you were at, you know, roughly this moment in time, about 100 years ago. Mark, it's actually where I was this morning at my in-laws place. So, Oh, very nice. Very nice. Just FYI, a lot of Chinese still there. Miguel doesn't go south of 14th Street, so he doesn't know what we're talking about. He doesn't know. Yeah, so, you know, the restaurants that were not Jewish restaurants, obviously, were Italian restaurants or Chinese restaurants. And so Jews kind of began this love affair with Chinese food. And there's actually an academic paper, which is called Safe Trafe, um, which alludes to the fact, this is not a Christmas thing, but it alludes to the fact that Jews would eat um, would eat pork. Jews who were normally kosher, many of them would eat pork in Chinese food because it was just, you know, it was in egg rolls or it was in sauce with vegetables and you couldn't really tell. I was actually just, by pure coincidence, rereading Portnoy's complaint and there's a whole passage all about this there. And he says, you know, there's this whole thing with his mother, obviously, and how even Chinese restaurants, she wouldn't let him eat lobster because that was like a bridge too far. But um, yeah, so it evolved that, um, that Jews loved Chinese food. The food then, you know, wasn't, you weren't getting spicy crispy beef or even General Chow's chicken. It was all Cantonese food, which, you know, if you've ever been to a traditional Cantonese place, it's kind of bland. It uses lots of onions and, you know, it's, it's not really all that dissimilar from Eastern European cooking for when, when, you, when you really think about it. And then the Christmas thing kind of became, you know, they were the places that were open. You know, you've probably seen during Elena Kagan's confirmation hearings, this was a whole thing. Like oh, yeah. Lindsey Graham, you know, the South Carolina senator is like, where were you on Christmas? And it was because there was some like terrorist thing that happened and like a judge would have needed to rule on it or something. And, you know, She's like, like most Jews, I was probably eating Chinese food. And and he didn't way, get it at I all. It was, Senator Schumer told us that would be true. It was really one of the great moments in American political history. Was it, it really Lindsey Graham? Is, I agree. I was trying to remember and who it was. So, it was Lindsey Graham? It was Lindsey Graham. Oh, man. And now he's going to save the republic, right, by being one of five sane Republican senators in, in the U.S. Senate. But where will he be on Christmas? <laughs> where will he be in the war on Christmas? I hope eating Chinese food with Elena Kagan. So let's talk Christmas music, your, All right. your other your other area of expertise. So I have to say, growing up, first of all, I discovered Christmas when I got to college because everyone on Long Island that I knew was Jewish. Um, so it was really exciting for me. I didn't realize until I really, I think, got to tablet that all Christmas, like the best Christmas songs are written by Jews. Yes. I And, uh, you know, I mean, there's that list, which I don't have in front of me, but go to tablet. I'm sure you'll see it. You know what I don't regret including on that list? So Mariah Carey obviously has an amazing Christmas song, which I always assumed was like a standard that she just did a really good version of because it sounds like a standard. But it's not. It's wonderful. It's obviously all I want for Christmas is you. And her longtime collaborator is this guy named Walter. And it's like Afanasyev or something. It's something Russian, you know, suspiciously Russian. You know what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like we need to figure out if All I Want for Christmas is You was also written by a Jew. Because I th- I th- it's certainly in play. 
I know a reporter whose beat that is, Mark Tracy. <laughs> I think that's the. I think that's your next used tablet to be, piece. Used to be. <laughs> I will tell you that I know the Times will let you still contribute to Tablet. So yeah, I, I used to when I was at Tablet. I used to because we used to Tablet's motto used to be a magazine. Maybe it's still is a magazine of Jewish life and culture. And when I would write about the Times, I'd say the other magazine of Jewish life and culture. <laughs> So I, your piece about Jewish Christmas music, um, I, it starts by quoting Philip Roth in Operation Shylock, and it says, yeah. The two holidays that celebrate the divinity of Christ, the divinity that's the very heart of the Jewish rejection of Christianity. And what does Irving Berlin do? He decrists them both. Easter, he turns into a fashion show, and Christmas into a holiday about snow. And I think that's so true. Like, all of the best Christmas songs, and most of the ones that are written about uh, by Jews, are like, let it snow, let it snow, white Christmas. Right. Like, they're actually not about... Jesus. Silver Bells, yeah. Winter Wonderland, Santa Baby. Oh, Santa, Santa Baby. Baby. That's pretty Santa religious. Baby, oh, yeah. Santa Baby is its own genre. I don't know what that's doing. I mean, I do know what that's doing, actually, but... <laughs> the sort of cheesecake, Brenda it's, it's, it's it's genre. Doing, it's doing it. But, I mean, yeah. isn't, Mark, isn't that... The reason they were writing those songs because that's actually what Christians wanted, right? I mean, yeah, that's what Christmas is at this point, right? Yeah. Um, I think. Hold on, Mark. Right. What, what this is, you know, as as uh, as the overthinker in chief in my life, and I say this with so much love, <laughs> you'll never believe. What is Christmas now? Because it, it, it's not a religious holiday anymore. No. You know what? What is it? It's in it's America. A, it's a like American excuse to kind of, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, it's like a. Um, it's almost like a coping mechanism. But, you know, as, 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 as I'm sure all of our psychologists tell us, not all coping mechanisms are bad. Um, it's, it's a way to kind of say, yeah, I'm rooted in this tradition. You know, it's not like Thanksgiving, which is, that's more of like a national holiday. Christmas, there's a way to convince yourself that it isn't a national holiday, even though obviously it is. Um, actually, one, one good answer to this can be found in an essay on Tablet Magazine by Adam Kirsch, which I just read last night, uh, all about the origins of, of Christmas becoming this, what he calls a, a kind of capitalist holiday, and he like writes about how a Christmas carol is actually an ode to capitalism because Adam's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think of it as a coping mechanism. It's like, yeah, we're not really going to be religious anymore. We but, had a know, shitty year. We like don't really we, believe in God. We can't take comfort in anything else. Let's just buy a bunch of shit and believe in a man in a red suit. Yeah. Right? Doesn't it feel like like a coping mechanism? I'm like, ready to sign up for like that. Neurotic, but like ultimately okay. So then, what's Hanukkah? Well, Hanukkah is the response to Christmas, and I mean, and a, a revenge that story. That our most anti-assimilation holiday is like, you know, American Christmas. Um, and I'm not an expert on exactly how Hanukkah evolved, but I think Hanukkah is is Christmas. If right? only the Christian songwriters would write a bunch of Hanukkah songs for us. Here's a question: Do you guys really? Yeah, that's funny. Do Do you guys really like Hanukkah? You know, I I was pretty indifferent to it growing up. Like it was fine. I wasn't. Yeah. I never got such. I wasn't so into the gifts, and I wasn't so into the story. And we were one of those families like we didn't know the second verse of the blessing, and right. um, uh, with but now that I have kids. They really, it's too long. Eight nights is too long, but four or five nights, the candles are very beautiful. There is a kind of excitement there. The eight nights allows you to have a bunch of different things. Like one set of grandparents can come one night and another set the other, and we can Mm, FaceTime with the cousins another. You're missing missing the, the true holiday spirit. It's about war. 
It's a no, I know that's what it's about. About war. Yeah. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. Not redemption, it's not the, some not some agricultural, you know, rite of passage bullshit. It's like we killed a lot of Greeks. It's the IDF holiday. Yep. You should know, you should know my, my, my father. So we have this like thing that my dad printed ages ago from the Addis Israel newsletter that like is like, you know, a, a three page Hanukkah liturgy. And there's this one point where all the names of um Mattathias Maccabee's sons are named. So you like Remind us of the heroism of, of his sons, Judah, Simon, Eleazar, blah, blah, blah. And then he always ends it with Mark, Jeff, and then anyone else who's present, too. He's always like, you guys are, are also. I'm going to do that so this you year. You guys are also in the war. I'm going to throw my daughters in and, and, and Rebecca and Ellie and Clara. I think, I mean, Hanukkah is pretty meaningless as far as like the Jewish holidays go. I mean, yeah. there's not that much there. I, I, I think I think that the greatest opportunity, I think what's become the American Jewish tradition with Hanukkah is explaining to your Christian friends, actually, it's a rather minor holiday. Like, <laughs> yeah. how many times have you said that? And everyone's like, like so happy times. Hanukkah. And you're like, eh, it's fine. It's the most Jewish thing ever. But, it's like, well, no, let's, let's downplay that I thing did, that we do. I did get one year eight presents every night. And that was like, I will never forget that. But also I have to say, like, when I smell candles, I, I it takes me back to this like warm childhood place. It's not a religious place. It's like a family place, which I love. And I'll say this, my mother-in-law, the, my, my daughter's grandma, whom they call Gaga, always gives the four of them a set of matching pajamas. And the cuteness oh. of all four girls having identical pajamas afterward, like that's, that carries me through about March, even in this, even with what's happening in late January. Is this sort of like meant to make us feel a little smug around the holidays when it's like you walk into a mall and they're playing Christmas music and you're sort of like, ha ha ha, like we wrote that guys, like we orchestrated your Christmas. You're saying the Jews point out things Jews did to make themselves feel smug, Stephanie? Stephanie, <laughs> Stephanie, <laughs> Stephanie, I'm surprised at you. <laughs> all right. Favorite Christmas song by a Jew? Santa Baby. It's got to be Santa yes. Baby. Come on. And who wrote that? I don't remember. Joan, uh, music and lyrics by Joan Ellen Javits and Philip Springer. Oh, man, wow. that's a terrible song. If I say so, it's true. Terrible song. Great song. Mark Tracy, sports writer for The New York Times, but more importantly, scroll editor emeritus. More uh, importantly, on is, is correct. Tabletmag.com. Uh, Mark with a C, thank you for joining us on We love you. Thank you love so much it. for having me. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Rachel Kamen is a librarian from Highland Park, Illinois, and earlier this holiday season, she posted a review on Amazon and elsewhere of a new children's book called Schmelf the Hanukkah Elf. And she wrote in part, I can't even give this book one star. That was in all caps. In my 19 years as a librarian, reading and reviewing children's books, Schmelf, the Hanukkah Elf, might be the most insensitive, inappropriate, disrespectful, and offensive picture book I've ever seen, end quote. And that review caused quite a stir, and our critic, Marjorie Ingle, hi, Marjorie. Hey, Mark. Um, also wrote about that book and mentioned Rachel's uh, review of it, and now Rachel's joining us. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Hi. And so I have not read Schmelf the Hanukkah Elf, but uh, but Rachel really hated it. First of all, Rachel, why don't you tell us um, – why don't you take us beyond the incredibly mean Amazon review you posted and tell us what this book is and why you hated it so much? Okay. So first of all, I received an advanced reader's copy, like a galley copy of the book back mm -hmm. in June um, because I serve as the children and teen book review editor for the Association of Jewish Libraries. And, um, you know, it showed up at my doorstep and I opened the envelope and it's very attractive. Um, it's got gold lettering. Um, the cover is 
an elf, but instead of the traditional green and white or green and red outfit, he's in a blue and white outfit with a star of David at the top of his hat, and he's holding a menorah. A little yellow star on his breast pocket or something? (laughs) No, the yellow star's on the top of his hat. Okay. Not on the... Yeah, not on his chest, but he's holding a steaming plate of lacas, and there's a reindeer and some spinning dreidels, and it shows the North Pole and all the elves busy at work in Santa's offices or whatever, and um, there's a new elf, and his name happens to be Schmelf, and his job is to check Santa's list to make sure that all of the kids that are in the nice column are on the present list. Um, But then Schmelf realizes that there's this whole list of children who had been nice, but they're not on the present list. And, you know, he's very concerned about this. So he goes to the head elf, which, you know, points for the illustrations. The head elf is a a black elf. So it gets some multiculturalism points there. Um, And the head elf says, now, now calm yourself, Schmelf. Of course, you don't know since you're still quite newish. But the kids on this list are actually Jewish. And wait, how do they get their presents? Well, first of all, let's talk about the visual of a big, long list of Jewish names (laughs) and what that means to us that it does does not mean to the Christians. This to illustrator vi- Howard McWilliams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, Marjorie. Yeah. Sorry. And this is where we got attacked, Marjorie, the most, was for me pointing out the kind of tone-deaf literary device of this So, okay, list. so you, Rachel, you pointed it out in your review. You're like, this is tone-deaf, putting Jews on lists, othering them on long lists that keep track of their ethnicity is then, bad. And it's just... And then Schmelf ends up interceding with Santa and being like, come on, we got to go to these guys. And Santa gives him leave. Oh, so you haven't read the book. So the Jews actually get co-opted into Christianity. Yes. Like the, yes. the so solution here, okay. is. So, so we'll continue with the story. The head elf, that the black head elf. Right. He, he tries to calm Schmelf down and says, don't worry. They, they celebrate Hanukkah. It won't be dear Santa who brings them a gift, but their mommies and daddies. Do you get my drift? So the head elf is like, Schmelf, don't worry. Those kids are covered. Um, but Schmelf just can't let it go because he thinks kids with no Christmas, he must be mistaken. So what's the so, end game? Yeah, we got to cut to the chase of the, all the offensive stuff. All the offensive stuff. So Schmelf sneaks off to one of the addresses of the Jewish children on the list to just make sure that everything's okay. Schmelf and sneaks of course, off to Skokie, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he sneaks out or Highland Park. Beverly Hills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he peers through the window, and what does he see? This wonderful Jewish family with lakas and a menorah and dreidels, and they're having a great time. And there's presents even, but there's not a tree or a stocking in sight. So Schmelf can't leave well enough alone. They're yeah, having a great just time. Go home and say like everything's fine. So what does the he do? They're fine. No worries. What does he do? But, but no, he. Um, you know, he, he, oh, he also, he learns about the story of Hanukkah. He overhears that. But he races back to the North Pole and he goes to Santa and he says, you know, like, I understand they're Jewish and they don't have Christmas, but they like still need something. Like, it's still not right. So Santa says, you know, I'm so glad that you're caring about these children. And so I'm going to give you this special task. You're going to be, and Santa crowns him, Schmelf, the Hanukkah elf. And he gets a blue sled, right? He, he gets, yeah. He gets, he gets a gets whole a Jewified outfit. sled. He changes from his green outfit to his blue outfit. He so, gets his star So basically his- what Jewish kids get is they get to be ersatz crypto-Christians. That's that's what resolves it for them. This sounds... Yeah, cause- Santa says, here's what you're going to do, Schmelf. At Hanukkah, you'll travel the world bringing magic and joy to each boy and each girl. Um, He gets his own reindeer named Asher. 
Um, and he visits the kids in December, sometimes November, and he Schmalf is going to make sure that your lacas are crispy and so, thin, your menorahs burn bright, and your dreidels will win. Okay, so you write about this. You know, you point out that this is not culturally sensitive. And was there blowback? Oh, yeah. Oh, the haters. They Yeah, the haters came out. There's 63 positive five-star reviews on Amazon, and I think there's like 16 negative reviews. So the haters came and, out to dwarf your review with five-star positivity. Yeah, saying you have no sense of humor, um, you Also, don't our favorite, it's just a children's book, Ooh. which is the worst and, thing to say because children's books are the most important books there are. They also think that because, like, Schmauf, in the, they, they quote his quote that he says, like, Hanukkah's awesome, I'm totally in. So the reviewers are like, Schmauf converts, he's like choosing Hanukkah over Christmas. I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> I read this book. Also, so is, your, yeah, sense, is yeah. your sense that the five-star reviews, the positivity, the people who are angry about your negative review, is it coming from Jews who are saying, oh, don't be so Jew-sensitive? Or is it coming from Christians who are saying, don't be so Jew-sensitive? It's coming from both. Like, it, a lot of people write in the review, I'm fully Jewish, and I think this book is wonderful. You know, other people say, you know, I'm intermarried, and, and I think this book builds a bridge between Hanukkah and Christmas. And other people say, you know, I'm not Jewish, but I think this book is wonderful. It teaches my non-Jewish children about Hanukkah. But there, Rachel, there actually are, I think we've made a pretty good case for why this book is horrific, but there are some really great books that you can recommend for yeah. intermarried families, right? Sure. I um, I did post an entire list on the Hornbook family reading blog, um, and particularly for interfaith families, like books that show, um, my favorites are Eight Candles in a Tree, um, by, uh, by Bloom, My Two Holidays, um, a story about Christmas, a Hanukkah and Christmas story, and Light the Lights, a story about celebrating Hanukkah and Christmas, because both, all three of those books portray a, Jew, a child who celebrates Hanukkah with their Jewish parent and their Jewish family, and then celebrates Christmas with their Christian, you know, parent, Christian family, and they're two separate you know, two separate celebrations. You know, we do these things because these are both part of who we are. It's not this like blend mashup, you know, let's put, you know, let's put lacas out for sale. Although I, I have to say, and this is, this is me not speaking as, as a Jew or as a Jewish dad, but just as someone who kind of, you know, values a sort of um, ruthless honesty or so I tell myself, right. But the, even when you're doing both of them, I mean, there is this kind of elephant in the room that, you know, Christians believe that their religion came along and superseded ours with a Messiah whom Jews failed to acknowledge. And I, the, like, the two can't eternally sit side by side and say, well, they're both great, right? I mean, at some point, if Jews are Christian, they're not Jewish, no? Yeah, but I think interfaith families have this, you know, I know a lot of interfaith families who maybe only celebrate Hanukkah in their home, but they have to go, you know, they go to the non-Jewish family and they celebrate Christmas outside the home. I mean, it and, works if you think of these as both as cultural styles rather than sets cultural, of beliefs. cultural. Right. The thing that I think is important is that Greg Wolf in interviews and in the flap, he doesn't, he's not claiming this book is for interfaith children or multi-faith children. He's like, this book is for Jewish children because Jewish kids need their own connection to Santa. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, I just, he, I just blanched. I feel like yes. for, for any child who then becomes a grown-up, uh, it is so vital for us to understand that life sometimes sucks and you lose out. And I think that Christmas is a really good time to learn this lesson is that sometimes you're an outsider and that is difficult. But, you know, 
uh, you and I differ on the book, Dear Santa, Love Rachel Rosenstein. Yeah. But I loved the idea that the end of this book is, you know what? I have Hindu friends. I have Muslim friends. We can all go out for Chinese food. And yeah, it kind of blows that, you know, Christians are having this awesome thing in their house that we don't have. But you know what? Suck it up. Yeah. And my my argument, too, is no matter I really feel like no matter what you do, I mean, you can you can put blue and white lights in your house and you can buy the mench on the bench and the Maccabee on the mantle and you can make the gingerbread house look like, you know, the blue and white Hanukkah house. You can do all of those things. But you know what? Hanukkah will never measure up to Christmas right. no matter what you do. But if you take Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Simchat Torah and Purim and Tu B'Shvat and Passover and then Shabbat every week and Havdalah every week, then you stand a chance of like measuring up to the, you know, of defeating the Christmas envy. But you're not going to defeat the Christmas envy with Hanukkah, no matter what you do. And thanks to the Jewish songwriters, they have better songs, too. So, <laughs> so true. Thanks to Marjorie Ingle and Rachel Kamen for talking to us about the complete inadequacy of Shmelf the Hanukkah Elf. We encourage none of you to buy it. And um, thanks for being on our Christmas episode. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. Bye. Bye, guys. From now on, we will call things different to kind of know what we mean. <clears throat> We're excited to be talking with Robin Rice. Uh, she is a writer and social change agent whose collective stuff can be found at robinrice.com. But we're especially eager to talk about her project called Your Holiday Mom, which you can find at robinrice.com or on its own website, where mom volunteers of all religions post public letters and videos as if they were writing to their own children. And it's targeted to, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. Robin, why don't you tell us whom it's targeted to? What is Your Holiday Mom? Okay, thank you for having me on. Sure. Um, so that it's at yourholidaymom.com, and each year we write letters, we moms, and that can be anybody, uh, anybody who's a mom who loves all of our LGBTQ kids as well as all of our kids, um, and even our adults these days, a lot of people who read it are not just kids. Um, and we write letters uh, basically saying, look, if your mom doesn't love you, um, we will. And uh, we'll just step in and we'll write a letter each day. It's like a blog. Uh, we write a letter each day from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day. Uh, and we do that every year. This is our fifth year. How did you get this idea? Well, I have a transgender child. So that was a big thing for me, obviously. I also had a younger brother who many, many years ago committed suicide because of his sexuality. And uh, so I knew when I read the statistics um, that suicide is a huge, huge risk if there is no family support, and there um, seems to be a lot of young people whose parents have kicked them out of the house, they become homeless, um, or they're just not accepted for who they are. And so the holidays, of course, are especially difficult then, especially if you're trans and you're not being used, you know, the right the right uh, pronouns and those kinds of things are very painful. So we just thought, we we being me, I, I should say, I shouldn't say we, <laughs> we being me said, Gosh, this this isn't okay, and uh, so I need to um, to to do something. And so I put out a, a short um, audio for anyone who is interested one year, and it kind of went viral with a community. And then I put out a video, and then we decided that I would bring in other moms and just started um, have have each one of us write. And uh, it's it's really beautiful and heartbreaking to read the comments. Um, 
I was reading, I was going through the website and I was nearly in tears. It's really, really beautiful mom sort of coming to, you know, for all types, all from all places. Um, and I actually wanted to read one um, from Mom Rowe, if that was okay, just to read a little bit so sure, our readers can sure. get a sense of it. Um, this one says, Happy Christmas up from New Orleans. Like always, Christmas and Hanukkah are overshadowed by frenzied preparations for Mardi Gras, but I can make all the time in the world to celebrate all the things with you. I've started putting up the decorations already. It's early, but might as well bring some extra light into a dark season, right? Some people might raise an eyebrow at our black tree, but the black and white striped ornaments and ribbons look so beautiful. IMO. That's in my opinion, Mark. I'm wrapping all the presents in black and white paper, too, and I'm thinking a touch of red or maybe lime green for the bows. Haven't decided, so I can leave that pop of color or not up to you. Even though Hanukkah is late this year, Abba's lion menorah is on the living room mantel, and there's a big bag of the good gelt, the kind that actually tastes like chocolate. So the idea is that these letters, you know... Give you bring you into the homes of of different types of families, which I really really love. Yeah, our our main guideline for the letter writers, and we do start getting our letters together, you know, several months before. Um, that our main guideline is that you make us feel like we can smell your house and taste your house, and you know, we can really feel like we're sitting next to you, and just tell that story of what it's like at your house so that we can virtually imagine ourselves in there because that, you know, that's very, very healing for someone. Um, I remember one uh, young uh, couple, uh, brother and sister wrote in one year and they said, you know, the girl wrote in and said, I'm sitting here holding my little brother who is sobbing. We never thought we'd hear a mother say, I love you. Um, so it's, it's very, very uh, effective in helping you imagine and feel for a moment at least. Um, that there's that there's love out there, and we got a, We got an email this or a post a comment this time the first day. Uh, guy said I nearly jumped out of my chair when I got my first one in the email again this year. I was hoping it would happen, and I was so excited. So they come back year after year. Do they ever want to meet the moms who write the letters? Sure. I mean, I think everybody would. Um, we we decided not to go that route because there was no way for us to create protection around it. We just didn't want it to be a, a liability or um, have have any chance of of it kind of going wrong. So we one of our rules is basically that that everything is in in the imagined space in the virtual space. But that's also what makes it kind of fun and interesting. So um, occasionally we do have that, but most people understand that the you know, it's it's a it's a description of what it would be like, and and but yet some of our parents actually um, set out a, a chair for that that absent holiday child um, at the Christmas table at the Hanukkah table. We have a lot of Jewish moms in our audience and Gentile moms who may have a little time on their hands and uh, and a good vocabulary. Should they? Uh, do you need more moms writing letters? We don't for this year, but we are always scrambling for the next year when we first start out. So um, there is a place if you go to yourholidaymom.com under about our letters that tells you where to sign up for next year. And if you want to write it this year while you're in the mood, that's fantastic. Um, We start around September, October gathering the letters and we only need about 40, but, um, but it's just, it's so nice when they're there and we don't have to kind of go after people and say, Hey, we need our letters. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We encourage people to check out the site at yourholidaymom.com. And when you, whenever you start Your Holiday Dad, um, Liel is going to be the first letter writer. Yeah, you would really love my, uh, my letter about holiday in my house. It's cold and well, there's gin on the table. Happy holidays. <laughs> well, Are they... we, we actually do have dad letters. 
Oh, so. okay. Well, there, there you go. You can transcribe Liel's. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. We really appreciate it. Have a good holiday. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, state your name. Rebecca Oppenheimer. And what do you think of Santa Claus? I think that he's a fictional character that has been made up for the fun of young Christian kids, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a lot of fun, but I don't believe him in, per- in him personally. So when you were growing up, did you ever believe in him? Not that I can recall. Were you ever jealous of the young Christians that they got Santa Claus? I wouldn't say so. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. We are edited by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and produced by Shira Telushkin. Rabbinic supervision by Jesus of Nazareth. Kosher slaughtering by the Pharisees. On Twitter, we're at TabletMag. I'm at MarkOp1. Liel is at Liel. Stephanie is at Stuffism. And she's on Instagram at Sputnik. Our music is by Golem. The Great American Christmas Songbook is by a bunch of Jews. We record in Christmas Tree Free Argo Studios. We're proud to be part of Panoply.fm, a network of very tasty podcasts. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends. <laughs>